Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan. On today's show, you're going to hear a conversation I had with a Punching Out listener, James, who took the time to email us about his frustrations working a past job at a local bindery, which provides printing for small publications. Talking to people about their work experiences is something that we originally envisioned doing a lot more of with this show than we have, but I would note that the email address where you can reach us remains in the intro and outro to each episode, and we do welcome any and all, just anything you want to send us, feedback or your own experiences in workplaces, that's what we're here for. In our conversation, James talked about the disregard for worker safety and curious managerial decision-making that marked his time at his old jobs. I hope you'll enjoy listening to it. First off, James, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us. Um, We always like to hear from listeners. I I guess just to start off, uh, tell me what sort of line of work you were in. Was, Was this a printing press? Is that what you would call it? Yeah, it was a printing press eventually, but you kind of start... I mean, I would it just turn 21 at the time, so they don't want to give you too many tasks. It's sort of a hierarchy of bottom to top as far as if there's a task that somebody doesn't want to do, you push it to somebody all the way on the bottom. So you start with, you know, basic machine operation. You start with anything that anybody can handle, then you move up to the more skilled tasks if you seem capable of it. So the printing actually didn't, I didn't get into it for another year or two. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because by then I was actually pretty skilled with that press and my supervisor who had a total grudge against me couldn't even talk about it. He seemed kind of envious that I actually was able to run and he couldn't. This is like an old school machine. This is something that like heavy duty. Yeah, it's from 1994 and it was a pretty sizable press. It was about the size of a car. So despite it, not being all that old, it was old technology because none of it was digital except for the uh, computer system on it. Kind of like, yeah, compared to a car, it's like an ECU on a machine that's mostly mechanical. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, was this uh, a physically demanding job? Oh, definitely. Mostly for no good reason, <laughs> because with the web press involved, and a web press is a newspaper press, so, you know, it works off these uh, massive paper rolls and it cuts folds and everything. And then they just kind of come off the press one by one. We did it fairly slowly. So it was about one every two seconds. And we'd always have somebody. It was either me or the other guy there who was just a year older than me. Stand there for hours and pull them off and stack them up on skids. And I feel like that's not actually a thing most of their binderies. Like... There's machines to do that. There's no reason to have an employee just standing there for hours, just without a break, unloading a web press like that. Um, How many people overall were working at this business? It was about 10. It was slowly t- declining in size when I got there because I remember there being 
a few more people in the offices and I think one more press operator, but I kind of replaced them because as they started putting more tasks on me, they didn't need to hire people to do those. So so you got the burden of all that extra work as time went on. Yeah, and as, as long as I could handle it, they would, wouldn't feel any need to hire more people on. And And you talked about, you know, fewer people working there as time went on because obviously the demand for printing has declined significantly in just like the past couple of decades with the rise of the internet. Did it feel like the company saw the writing on the wall in that regard? Like this felt like a dead end in a way? Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we know which ways printing has been going since the nineties and even back before that, but it's kind of a forbidden discussion just out of principle. It wasn't, you know, something you weren't allowed to talk about. It's just that it was poor taste to discuss it at work. Right, right. Now, you explained in your email to to the show that you, you suffered a, like a wrist injury while you were working there? Yeah, it was actually just something fairly simple. All I did was pick up like that skid that weighed maybe 20 pounds, but it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, now when you talk about these skids, are, are these like uh, wooden pallet type things? Thankfully, or? we didn't use those often. We used the postal skids, which... We kind of stole from the post office. I don't want to... <laughs> I mean, they went back to the post office, so it's not like we kept them, but... Uh, describe the size of that, just because like, I'm having a hard time picturing it. Oh, it's about the size of any standard wooden skid, except it's plastic and hollow. Generally, they're not that bad. You could honestly, if you're being a little tough, you can pick up three or four at a time. But it's it was just an awkward angle to pick it up. No. Then once you had this wrist injury, that seemed to be sort of, you started seeing some of the less um, gratifying parts of this job, like just in terms of the way you were treated after having it. Oh, I was already that way. I mean, that was towards my third, fourth year. But yeah, it was clear that, and this was a year after the owner had broken his ankle and just kept coming back into work every single day it was clear that nothing was going to change for me. I'm just expected to do everything I was already doing, only do it slower or do it with the other wrist, including uh, rolling around rolls of paper that were 1,100 pounds off of a truck onto a forklift. And I'm having to drop these vertically. I'm having to rotate them and twist them. And I was actually just doing it with one hand. Did this place offer uh, health insurance? Was anything like that on on offer? Technically, they did, but not one person signed up for it because it was a minimum of about 300 a month. And that was one quarter of what anybody made a month. So nobody could realistically afford it. Um, you said you'd been making 8 or $9 an hour at this time? Yeah, and... I mean, for me, coming from the situation I did, that was actually pretty good money because just before that, I was working jobs in South Carolina for seven twenty-five an hour, but in New York, even at Rochester, which is fairly affordable, it just wasn't the living wage. Right. And uh, sort of thankfully, I, I can speak from experience that minimum wage has gone up these last few years. It's now eleven eighty. So so that has been a benefit, um, just having that minimum wage go up because- I mean, how would that have impacted just your weekly budget if you had that extra cash? 
I did have extra cash, but it was really under the table. Now the uh, pay raises there kind of followed the minimum wage because at some points I was getting paid minimum wage while already there, even though it started a little higher. So the money under the table, even though it did show up on the pay stub, it was just kind of auxiliary money. It wasn't taxed. I was making $16 a day for driving about an hour and a half delivery after work. And the problem with that is that up in the north when you have the winter and it gets severe, this is like an emergency delivery. It's going to be done no matter what or else the paper is not going to make it out. So even in severe snowstorms, it took me over two hours. It's it, something that has to be done. It's still the same pay, too. And the other issue is that if you're paying people a flat rate for driving, they're going to find ways to just drive quicker and get paid the same amount because that's the difference between being paid $16 an hour or $16 an hour and a half. So it just makes more sense to, you know, toss safety out the window and just pull at Oh, but really? It seems like ignoring safety was a common theme at this job. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and you had some back trouble, too? Yeah, I've had back trouble my whole life, but I was constantly told that I'm too young for it until I finally brought in x-rays and they just said, well, too bad. It's. It just seems like, I. you know, all, all this sort of... Sounds like grueling work. I'm curious what made you stick along, stick around at this job for the length of time that you did. Well, it was across the it was across the road from where I lived because I had just literally moved across the road from my work, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of other work options around Webster. And I had been applying over the years. When I finally got accepted elsewhere, my roommate was working. I took it immediately. Um. I'm just sort of struck because like a common refrain and in, um, in discussions with like the right wing in American politics is that if people don't like a job, they can just up and leave, you know, they can choose to yeah, work no. elsewhere. But your experience sort of shows how um, circumstances can make that choice not so simple. Yeah, even I was even burned out after the job hunt down in South Carolina because I was implying hundreds and hundreds of places and wouldn't get anything but i couldn't even take my skills anywhere because the skills from my previous jobs and the skills of this job there wasn't really anywhere to go up here because it's all old machinery so even though there are a few other printing places they aren't running the same stuff and and they aren't looking to hire mainly right probably i wouldn't even know i i was kind of talked out of even trying because they just point at Gannett and say, well, we're a lot better than Gannett because Gannett, they're just going to hire you at a pretty good pay, but they're going to fire you within two weeks. Nobody ever lasts. I don't know how true that is. Um, you, you mentioned this other job back in uh, South Carolina. What was that work? Oh, my gosh. That was absolutely insane. I could go on a whole episode about that, but it, that is just... I won't stop you. <laughs> ...deep recess in my mind, yeah. I was actually a baghouse operator at a secondary steel mill. By secondary, I mean, it's just a little mill. We didn't do any mining on site. It was all recycling. And OSHA helped a ton there. I will give them credit, but it was they were still skirting OSHA's requirements and the EPA's requirements against my safety. And it even showed because a previous employee in my exact same position, this place had only been built 
20 years ago had already passed away of lung cancer. And the, the uh, PPE that's personal protective equipment that we were given just wasn't really sufficient enough for the materials we were working with. Now, what were you doing there? Was this like smelting? Or... Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was a little unclear. Uh, no, no, the, exhaust, the exhaust dust that comes from a furnace, it kind of sits around inside a silo up on top of what we call the bag house because it all goes down through these bags so that it doesn't clog up and gets unloaded down into a, a rail car. But it would cl- constantly clog up anyway, despite all that. And because of the design of the building, it was going through a lot hotter than it should have. So I would have to constantly unclog it. But because unclogging the chute in order to actually get it to do its intended purpose was not part of the job description, it didn't count towards, you know. Benefits uh, or pay or anything. Well, no, it just, it was considered uh, out of the ordinary. So it just didn't count. They're like, that's your fault for unclogging the chute. And I'm like, I have to do that in order to actually load the car. And you you mentioned this causing like a, f- a previous employee lung cancer in terms of th- these are hazardous chemicals. Yeah, you were showered in uh, uh, zinc lead dust. So I would go home and shower and bathe and it'd still be on me the next day. Hmm. And there wasn't much incentive to actually fix anything that's not broken because it's using other people's time, which could be going to more important stuff because you never know when something much larger is going to break. It's seems like you've constantly gotten sort of the butt end of like just um, almost inertia at these places. You know, they have these systems in place and they aren't going to change it to fix something that would make your life a lot better, but not necessarily help the bottom line. Yeah, and just beyond the bottom, I mean, it's also for my age there, too. I was working there as a teenager, which seems kind of insane. And after the year 2000, really. I mean, this is kind of a industrial revolution sort of job, right? Right. Yeah. Any task that, uh, uh, sorry, any task that nobody wants to do just gets put on the bottom guy there. And and that'll be the person with necessarily the least experience, probably. Yeah, that is your experience. Then you better appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you talked about OSHA helping out a lot. There is is that something you saw just. In your time there? Not in my time there, because this started applying in the 90s, because they used to have some really brutal accidents, and we actually became the safest steel mill in the U.S. That's that's something to celebrate. Yeah, I never once... I, I mean, I saw some gnarly stuff, but I never once saw anybody get killed my time there. And that used to be just something that happened, like, every week or every month. And sadly those sorts of OSHA inspections have been um, on the decline just in the last few years under the Trump administration, even before um, obviously COVID has made it a much trickier task for inspectors to be on site anywhere they go. Yeah. The last job I worked at, not the printing job, but the job after it did baby us about OSHA requirements. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful it went that way, not the other way. Right. Because um, they've ended up doing fewer inspections, which they, they can't get to every workplace anyway. So what what happens is in these places where they don't visit, like um, the printing press, the bindery you mentioned, things kind of are anything goes in a way. 
I was surprised they weren't even involved with those shows. Like, I don't know the actual the minimum in order to uh, get inspected by OSHA, but maybe it's uh, an employee size thing. Oh, I'm not an expert you mean in terms of how many employees are there? Yeah, I'm not an um, expert. Neither am I, but I can say that they... Uh, I don't think it's necessarily employee size just because I, I know my mother works at a small um, veterinarian's office that only has five or six employees and they, they get OSHA every year, but that might be the nature of the work. I mean, it was certainly dangerous enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like there yeah. were, there are machines everywhere. We had a cutter that it is just this large menacing blade that comes down. Sometimes it wouldn't come back up and you're putting your fingers underneath the constantly in order to move paper around that you're cutting. Which leads some leads to some pretty gnarly paper cuts, of course, it's thick cloth paper, and then a lot of other machines with a lot of moving parts. Where you're constantly putting your fingers and just don't put them in the wrong places, and you'll do fine. But anything can happen; they clog up. And and beyond just like accidents and um, the sort of uh, gnarlier things you can see around machinery like this, like the constant stress of working these long shifts at you know doing manual labor like this it it has a toll it right yeah there was there was a video i remember seeing in the steel mill that made some absolutely fantastic points that i keep reminding people with is that a lot of accidents happen when you least expect them not only are they more likely to occur to uh older employees who think there's nothing that can happen to them by now because they've been doing it for so long so younger people are a lot more cautious, but also usually before a holiday or before a nice big weekend off or something, big week off, it's when you're, it's when you have your guard down that this, this stuff occurs. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Now, you you had mentioned that at this uh, this binder, there was sort of a a busy season. What what makes for a busy season in that line of work? Well, a lot of our uh, big customers are the school districts. I mean, we had school districts stretching out from Rush Henry at all, Rush Henry at all the way out to, uh, uh, shoot, Sodas Point. Okay. So that we'd have uh, we'd be printing calendars. That was a big task because you know the calendar is actually quite a device. There you have you have to uh, cut it, print it, stitch it. You have to drill the holes in it. Like it's all from scratch, and then you have uh, newsletters. Newsletters are throughout the whole year, but they all kind of hit us at once right before school actually opens. And and during this time of the year, your shift grew longer? Yeah, it was kind of a old habit that we did 12-hour days. But after a few years of me being there, they actually started to eliminate that because I had lifted a lot of the uh, trouble. But then they went back to doing that after I left. So so it was just a matter of you like put your foot down and said you weren't going to do these? No, it's actually that I just worked hard enough that they didn't have to anymore. <laughs> I I suppose that's to your credit, but it does um but it it never works out for me, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Because I'm never gonna get credit for it, and and you're not gonna get paid for like cramming in that extra work into smaller no. amount of time. There was no hazard pay whatsoever, and barely any raises too. I didn't get a raise for over two years, and there were people without raises for over five years. But then when you weren't in this busy season because of the nature of the business, there were also slow periods and that didn't benefit you either. If I'm reading you right. Yeah. I mean, just the nature of the schedules we stick on because papers are always come out on the same days. You kind of had slow and fast periods during every part of the day, but then also throughout the whole season. What would, what would you do during these, slow periods when there was less work well we had tasks that were kind of ongoing so like uh for one customer we print uh manuals just these little books that are uh, had metal bindings like spiral bindings so okay. we could just crank those out or crank out box sleeves which was just an extra thick paper that you know over a box you just uh is Sorry, this is a little weird to describe. It's kind of a package. So we made those, and then we just sent them off to the customer. So you could just like uh, glue those together, or you could put books together. And it's just something to do, and don't do it too quickly, but yeah. So what you're describing is you would have to... It was kind of make work in a way, just something to have you do yeah. so that you didn't stand around or relax at all yeah so long as those companies are still in business and they were still our customers we we're just going to keep making material for them whether they wanted it or not if they didn't want it yet you just keep it around so your your boss had a way of um sort of maximizing your time when it even whether it was required or not of you yeah I mean, if it came down to absolutely nothing, you just mop the floor, basically, or clean the restrooms. I, I was struck in your email when you were describing this by like the similarity to um, a book we talked about on the show a couple of years ago now, um, David Graeber's uh, BS Jobs, and how he would write about these people whose bosses either required them to be there when nothing was you know, there wasn't anything for them to do or would have them do these menial tasks. Um, and, and he talked about the ways in which bosses seemed reluctant to acknowledge that their employees were just there to be on call if something went wrong. Um, and I, I think you mentioned that this is something that stuck out to you as well. Yeah. I don't want to pin that all on the boss because he was kind of a strange guy. He was a bit of both like, like I said, he was somebody who broke his ankle and kept coming in anyway, but he also take lots and lots of vacations. But it's understandable because he's still working in his 70s and he's honestly going to try to work till he dies before actually retiring because he's kind of... Who, who can life. retire anymore? Yeah, it was, it was really the supervisor just directly below him. It just kind of got a thrill out of these kind of exploitive and um, manipulative work habits because it helped to validate himself and what he had gone through there. I feel like the same would happen to me that if I was in his position, I would inherit all those toxic features and just push people around like pawns to keep them as busy as possible. I definitely didn't want to get into that work culture. 
Right. Um, one thing that Graeber talks about in this book is this idea that a lot of things are directed not to making things more efficient necessarily, but to um, sort of flatter the bosses. You know, they, they like having people under them. They like being able to boss people around and, and tell people what to do. And, um, and, and so that creates a lot of these situations where you feel like you're being told to do something that isn't really necessary or even helping. It's just there to make you do something. Yeah, efficiency definitely was not a goal that we strived for. That was something you sort of tried to achieve if you were uh, new like me and didn't know any better. But then you find that if you're running out of stuff to do, that you actually start to panic because then you're not going to look busy. And that, there was a fear of that. You wanted to make sure you were seen doing an important task rather than just busy work. Right. I, I definitely can relate to that um, fear of not having enough to do. I, I, I work in a kitchen and um, just the nature there are going to be fast periods of the day and slow periods when I don't have as much to do. And um, I've had a few different bosses at, at this job now. And a couple of them, I was always concerned about getting my work done too quickly. I, I wanted to stretch it out if I could, or otherwise I'd be tasked with trying to find something else to do just to look busy, even if it didn't need to be done. And and I hated that. It it made me miserable, frankly. It'd be nice if there was even an, a visible end goal in sight and you just were proud to actually get it done. That's that one thing that I did like about the actual press operation is that I would crank out a job and I would hear that the customer liked it. And it was, it was really rewarding. I actually enjoyed that except for how tedious it was to run. But the tedium was also kind of the fun if you got it working it it's sort of a hobby that's still stuck with me like i started buying a bunch of weird printers for home because it's rewarding <laughs> but i uh, can see that having sort of a like an almost meditative quality just going through the process yeah it's a little masochistic but <laughs> it it feels nice but uh yeah it'd be nice to have some kind of an end goal but instead you the entire end goal is to just to look busy no matter what instead of getting jobs done it'd be nice to just do what you were asked to do and then go home right right that i that i feel like is is the dream for a lot of workers just to have something that you know as long as it gets done they can just do it and then do whatever with the rest of their time but unfortunately a lot of jobs are structured in this way to you know, keep you there for eight hours or 10 hours or however long your shift may be, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter whether 10 hours of work is actually required. Yeah, it seems a little optimistic, but imagine just, you know, quickly getting through something, doing a good enough job for it that you don't get yelled at and being able to go home and pay for the rest of the time because you actually sped up and did what you're supposed to do and you did it more efficiently. I, I know there have been sort of these experiments with four-day work weeks in countries like uh, Sweden, for example, where they just have a 32-hour work week instead of the 40-hour work week. And what they find is that productivity, more or less, the output more or less stays the same because people are more productive when they don't have to work so many hours in a week. They, they make more out of their time when on the job. They're more focused. 
Oh, this has been uh, a. Actually, I worked for I for I worked four day weeks at the steel mill, but it was ten hour days, so that's kind of irrelevant. But an issue I've had with that job and every job I've worked so far is that when you take time off, and I know this has been discussed on the show, you get really anxious about what's piling up when you're not there, hmm. especially or, if you're doing the bulk of the work. Yeah, or if like you, you ever get sort of anxiety just about requesting time off i didn't even bother request time off at the printing company because i was already asked not to because then they have to find a driver for doing it for doing the afternoon delivery runs and there was simply nobody who wanted to do it i mean everybody drove everybody was capable of driving a car and they knew where to go but nobody wanted to do it because that's just more work in the day i i find that there's this sort of unspoken pressure to not call in, like even even when I'm not feeling well or I'm sick, I I just it it's not made explicit at my workplace, but I can feel it all the same. It, it's almost tangible. Yeah, I was just explicitly declined time off because they couldn't find somebody to replace me. Yeah, and and you had um, in your email you mentioned having time off that you just couldn't take. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know at the time that it didn't roll over. So there was two weeks I was allowed to take off one year, and I didn't take off even an hour. And and you don't get anything bonus for not doing so. It, it it's not at all strictly a benefit to the people above you. No, not at all. It does not carry over after the year, and I didn't even know that until it had already happened. And they're like, "Yeah, that's gone forever. That's finished." Now, I, I'm curious, what what is it that um, you've been doing, or rather, um, stepping back, uh, what is it that eventually um, ma- made you quit this job? It was mostly my uh, well, former roommate at the time. He had a lot of complaints about his job, but I noticed that it was a lot better than mine, that he was making more, he was working fewer hours, and he was honestly, he was doing more fun stuff, and he, he did have some nasty supervisors that I eventually also had experience with, but it's just better in every regard. So I just kind of shot my application over there three times, in fact, but on the third time they finally got to me and I never looked back. Hmm. Um, I, I'm curious, is there something like maybe a policy or something that you think could have made this job at the bindery more satisfying or just better to do? I think there was really no fixing it. It was entirely up to the supervisor and the owner. And so long as they were there and they were completely unmovable, it's always going to be the way it it was and it could get worse. Because we were fearing that if either of them leave, because eventually the owner is going to have to retire whether he wants to or not, the place is basically done. Hmm. Just Because, because of the nature of the business declining? Yeah, and he didn't really train anybody for his position. So when he's done, I mean, when he's gone, it's done. Hmm. That, and, and that's um, something that like the entire journalism industry is going through because um, like, obviously you were printing for newspapers and a lot of local newspapers in just the past couple of decades have shut down as more and more things are being done online. Um and, and what's resulted, of course, is that f- for journalists, um, and this is a field that like, I, I went 
to college I got a degree for, but wasn't able to really put that degree to use, you know, in terms of getting paid for it. Um, like a lot of the jobs that have been created, you know, online are centered in cities like New York or San Francisco or LA, wherever there's a, a big industry to cover. And in the middle of the country and the rest of the country in places like Rochester, there just aren't a lot of jobs to go around. Um, I, I think something like twice as many people have lost jobs in journalism than in say coal in the last 20 years, even though there's so much attention paid to um, the job losses in, in that field. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like uh, it being in the newspaper newspaper industry was uh, a little metaphoric metaphorical, but it wasn't the main purpose any of that was going on, but rather just the small business etiquette of you reach a position, you try not to train anybody below you because then that they become your competition. They could replace you and just top you topple you off your hierarchy. So if you train somebody to replace you, wait until the very last second when you know that they're going to do it and when you actually welcome it. Otherwise you want to keep people in the dark. There's sort of um, a glorification of uh, small businesses and especially small business owners in American culture and American politics. But I I think just from reading and hearing your experiences, um, they aren't necessarily better for workers to be there. In fact, because the margins are so small, a lot of times these places can be, you know, as exploitative as you talk about. They can be even crueler to workers than the bigger chains that get vilified in many ways yeah it was uh it was shocking to me because i had even gone into there was a an already seething hatred for corporations and i thought well the small business family business literally to me because i was i had i was the uh owner's nephew i was like this is gonna be so much better but then it just gets a lot more personal because you know the actual owner can hold a grudge against you for the day or for the rest of the week or for the rest of your entire time there over something just menial. Whereas if you're working at Walmart, say what you will about Walmart, you're probably not going to um, get the anger of Mrs. Walton. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to just have a, you're not going to just have a tasteless conversation with Sam Walton. And then he decides to fire you the next day. You won't even get to see him. Right. Um, there, there's a, a phrase I've heard tossed around um, the, the, the uh, small business tyrant, you know, these people who yeah, have their perfect. little fiefdom and they exert absolute control over. Yeah, I heard that on the show before. That is absolutely perfect. Um, so, yeah, it is just for your own job security because job security is the two uh, bold print words here that it was everything they worked for personally was just to keep our position no matter what it was. And you keep everybody else in the dark because if you find a better way to do something, you want to keep it to yourself because that becomes your power. And speaking of uh, job security, you had mentioned that there were machines that could have done a lot of the work that you were tasked with that, um, that were affordable for the company even, and yet they refused to upgrade the technology they had on offer. Yeah, absolutely. Because it kept us busy to do everything by hand. It, it just, it goes against like everything that you're taught about um, businesses and like, 
econ 101 or you know just in general society that they they strive for efficiency and yet here's this route to efficiency that is being totally passed up strictly so they can create more work for you i guess yeah and it's no secret that just buying the equipment necessary was cheaper than paying somebody per hour to do it by hand all day long but yeah you didn't want to be the one losing your job so you'd actually be terrified of being replaced by a machine and a lot of people were in that situation i believe yeah Uh, not that being replaced by a machine is better but it it is sort of weird how the the motivations for people running these places can be vastly different than sort of the strict um adherence to the bottom line that you're told about yeah i mean working all the positions there i did if it was running a machine versus doing a busy work with my hands. I always preferred being the guy running the machine. Um, I, I guess that's all the questions I had prepared about um, what what you wrote us. I, I do want to thank you again for reaching out to the show. Uh, we don't have a lot of listeners do that, but it it's nice to hear that um, the show has, uh, you know, spoken to you in some way. Yeah, I've been trying to spread it around too. We We do appreciate that. Um, is, is there anything else that you would want to say while you have the opportunity? Uh, I think that covers all the big topics. Okay. Um, so thank you again for coming on and, um, see ya. See ya. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.